Adam Crowley. I'm pumped, man. I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. I'm pumped. You I'm tell ready me to go. Right now, right now. How pumped you are. Right now, let's go. You tell me. You tell her how pumped you are. All right, let's go right now, right here. Whoa, whoa. No, Jesus. No, no, you can't in the middle, whoa, whoa. In the middle yeah. of the prom. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Good evening, everybody. How are you? Well, that's good. Wesley Euler in for Adam Crowley on this frigid Monday, the day after one of the most compelling championship Sundays in NFL history. For a long time, I defended Andy Reid. Nice guy. Big dude. Great mustache. Probably a lot of fun to have barbecue with. But I'm out on Andy Reid. I'll tell you why in just a minute, though. After Sunday's controversial loss to the Rams... The Saints owner, Gail Benson, released a statement today condemning the officials, saying that the result was unfair, yada, 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 yada. This was just tweeted out. I wonder if he wrote an article, a letter like that to Joe Hayden after the game down there a couple weeks ago. Just asking. The Saints and their fans are a bunch of losers. Their head coach, too. I'll talk about that specifically at 620, but we got to talk about... A different head coach here first. A little bit more plump head coach. That's not fair. Hey, I am i mean, I'd be the same way if I was eating all that barbecue. And, and all the cheesesteaks in Philly to all the barbecue in Kansas City? Come on! It's cold, too. Gotta layer yeah, you up. Can't, you, you can't yeah, get out there and exercise exactly. as much as you would like to? I get it. The end of game coaching across the board. Well, I should say, except for that surefire first ballot future Hall of Famer Bill Belichick, who never makes a mistake, was not good. Particularly, though, Andy Reid. Woof. Like I said, I've defended him for years. I think he's a first ballot. Not first ballot. I think he's a future Hall of Famer. I think he's one of the most innovative offensive mind the game has ever seen. If you watch that Chiefs penultimate drive, so the one where they took the lead, so not the drive where they kicked the field goal at the end to send it to overtime, the drive where they took the lead with, what, a little over two minutes left? It was a perfect microcosm of Andy Reid's career because you had the good, which is just an absolute clinic when it comes to play calling. I mean, they they should show that drive on loop at at offensive conferences and seminars across football. It was genius. But it also had all the bad that we've become way too accustomed to when it comes to Andy Reid. It starts off with his decision to defer. Uh, you can't... Listen, I know it's the start of the game. The game ended up going into overtime. It's a three, four-hour contest. It's, it's hard to point to the very first decision as being a terrible one, but it was. You can't defer there. When you saw what the Patriots did last week, the Chargers deferred, the Patriots got the ball, they took eight minutes off the clock, they had a seven-point lead. You can't give them the opportunity to do that again, especially when you have the best offense in the league and one of the worst defenses. Dictate the momentum from the start. My Lord, it's not that hard. His clock management and his usage of timeouts has always been a criticism of Andy Reid deflectors. There was no clock management before the Chiefs took the lead. Uh, They rolled right down the field. They get first and goal. 
there's two minutes and seven seconds left, and there wasn't even an opportunity to get past the two-minute warning by Andy Reid. Gross mismanagement of the clock. And then, of course, no timeout in overtime. Well, before that, actually, at the end of regulation, the Chiefs should have taken another shot with 11 seconds left. With 16 seconds left, all the Patriots DBs walked back off the ball. All the Patriots linebackers walked back off the ball. They had a 10-yard cushion, and they took a shot to the end zone. And I listened. Patrick Mahomes, this is his first time doing this. I get it. Maybe he should have checked down. Maybe he should have audibled. But you got 16 seconds left. You can gain 7, 8, 9, 10 yards there and only take 4 or 5 seconds off the clock. The Patriots gave you all the room in the world to do it. Instead, you take a shot at the end zone that wasn't even close. There's 11 seconds left in regulation. That's when you kick the field goal. It was gross mismanagement by Andy Reid. I've defended him for years. I still do think he's a Hall of Famer, but I'm done defending him. And he might skate by, like Sean Payton, some of the criticism he deserves because so many Chiefs fans are going to be like, oh, man, well, it was unfair. We didn't get a shot in overtime. Speaking of Sean Payton, woof for him, too. He's going to skate by, I told you, but his play calling on that final possession of regulation for the Saints should be under criticism, under a microscope for a while. Under the two-minute warning, the Rams only have two timeouts. There's a minute and 50 seconds left on the clock, and what do you do on the first play of the drive? You throw an incomplete pass. What do you do on third down? You throw an incomplete pass. Sean Payton, that game should have never gotten to overtime. That game should have never gotten to the point where the refs could miss a monumental call. You should have ran the ball on first down. The Rams will take a timeout. You should have ran the ball on second down. Rams will take a timeout. You should have ran the ball on third down. And hey, maybe you get a first down. And then the game's really, really, really over. But if not, worst case scenario, you kick a field goal and take the lead like you had to do eventually. But the Rams get the ball back with 15 seconds and no timeouts. 20 seconds and no timeouts. As opposed to getting the ball back with what? A a minute and a timeout? The end of game coaching, particularly from Sean Payton and Andy Reid, was brutal. Yesterday. Not even to mention that on the Rams' last drive of the game, the Saints' DBs should have been daring the refs to call pass interference. Like, this is another thing that was really bothering me. The Rams just got away with that blatant pass interference penalty, right? That they didn't call. You still take the lead. There's some time left, and the Rams are trying to get into field goal range. Why are you not daring the refs to call pass interference? If you're Sean Payton and you're whoever the Rams' defensive staff is, why are you not telling your DBs, get all over these guys? They're not going to call it. It was inexcusable. They're playing with a cushion. The Saints' DBs aren't even pressing. How? That makes no... like. I'm sitting there screaming at the TV, why aren't the Saints' DBs playing more physical? They're not going to call it. And I don't care who wins. I'm not a Saints fan. I'm not a coach who's... Job depends on wins and losses. I will tell you what was funny, though. Sean McVay, did you guys notice this? They have an assistant coach on staff just to keep him off the field. The guy has a title. Ted Rath is his name. I know the guy's name. Ted Rath, that's a pretty cool name. Rams get back coach is his official title. I'm not kidding. Just to keep McVay from going on the field. Just to keep McVay from going on the field and from, he has this real like, where he almost like doesn't even, I don't think he has an actual eye problem, but he like doesn't use his peripheral vision or whatever. So it's to keep him from going on the field and it's to keep him from running into officials on the sideline. 
Because I guess a lot of times he's so focused on golf or whatever's going on, and he's moving up and down the sideline, and he wouldn't notice, and he would bump into an official. But you gotta, I mean, you gotta look at, like, if you just put in, like, Rams get back coach on Twitter, or even if you just search Sean McVay, I'm sure it'll be one of the first things. It, like, looks like they're doing one of those awkward middle school dances. So what's his strategy for holding him back? Is it like that Dude, where he grabs him by the shoulders and like he's behind him, him like him, by or? the hips, Tom? I'm not kidding you. It's like they're you he's got his that? hands on his hips, like he's Chubbs Peterson trying to teach him. It's, it's all in the hips. It's like the middle school dance where you had like the Sunday school counselor going around with a ruler, being like, "Make sure you leave room for oh Jesus. Make sure you leave room for Jesus." That's what he looks like. He looks like that. Is person. there more effective things to do? Like, could he put a child leash on him, like one of those backpacks from Faye heads on with a little leash, and every time he goes to stray on the field, he's like, "Hey, back a little bit. Hey, come on, Sean." Or brings could, him back. Could they just set up in like an invisible fence, put a shot oh, collar every time he steps over? Like, <laughs> like if he steps too shot. far out on the field, <laughs> well, that solves him going on the field. But as we've heard, he also has trouble running into the refs. He does. Because so. that's what I was like, there's no way. And then when I read the article, they were like, he used to. I think that was something when he was the offensive coordinator with the Redskins. He used to bump into refs all the time on the sideline. Isn't that on the refs, though? I mean, Get out of the way! On. you got to give the coach his, his fair share of space to run Rome there. I mean, he's the head coach. He's the offensive coordinator. He's... He's in a war with his hey, troops on the field. Hey, he's, he's trying wickedly to, handsome. Wickedly handsome. He's trying to get in the end zone, and you're just trying to figure out if people are lining up offsides or not. You, I mean, get out of his way, refs. Yeah, I'm telling you, if you haven't seen it yet, go on Twitter and just search Sean McVay. I, I'm sure it'll be one of the first things that comes up. I know the guy's name, Ted how, Rath. How much do you think he makes? Ted Rath? Yeah. Six figures. Oh, my god. Easily. Do you think he does anything else, or do you think he's just the get-back? He's got to do something else, right? He's got to, like, break down film for them or something like that. His title is Rams get-back coach. Oh. But he's got to be like in the film room, like cutting up sure. highlights and during he's, the week. He's probably a or guy he's practicing who's, keeping McVay back. He's pro- <laughs> Does he watch film on how he can how better to keep, keep McVay back? McVay I should have let him run into the ref there. <laughs> Damn it! I, I should have guided him this way. Oh, he went on the field a little bit. <laughs> and to be fair too to this guy though, let's be honest. I mean, he's making a hundred k salary. What's that in LA? That's like minimum wage. Yeah, good point. Coming up next, we'll be joined by former Steelers linebacker Arthur Motes. We'll talk some championship weekend. We'll also get into some of those Steeler topics. I'm Wesley Euler filling in for Adam Crowley. You are listening to The Crowley Show. It's The Adam Crowley Show. Take me home to a rear in the back of my pickup. Take me home will rear. In but Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. You know, people think Crowley's really the foremost West Virginia fan in this city, but it's actually the Wild Wild West. Let's be honest here. That was a good bit you guys had there. Yeah, we're not talking about West Virginia right now. I know, and their big win over Kansas. Yeah, we're not talking yeah, about obviously, that. we're no talking football. After our. Entire country made sweet, sweet love to the game of football for about, what, seven hours yesterday on a Sunday? I mean, talk about afternoon delight, Tom. Joining us now to break it all down, a man who needs no introduction. Nine-year NFL career. Number 55. He's with me every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 10 a.m. to noon on Steelers Nation Radio. It's Arthur Motes. What up, Motes? Hey! What's good, baby? Long time to talk to. Yeah, what? It's been a whole, uh, what, about four or five hours since you left this building yourself? Hey, hey, man, it's been way too long, man. I was going through withdrawals anyways. (laughs) I hope you didn't slip on your way out to the car, no? 
Man, hey, listen, I took baby steps. I made it safely to the car, safely home, so it was a double win. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. A uh, lot, lot to get to here, Motsi. Let's get at it. Uh, has there ever been anyone better to root against in the history of the NFL than Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and these New England Patriots? Man, like, honestly, I- I'm having a hard time thinking of anyone, like, the thing that I love about them is they are super villains, and they're embracing it. They're embracing being villains, and I think you know they're, they're special. They got a special place in, in all the the ultimate NFL villains. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what you know. We we talked about this on the show this morning. I, I talked about it a little bit here so far. I'm not asking people to tell them that they they have to respect Brady or Belichick. That they have to admire Brady or Belichick. It's nothing like that. I'm just saying you're going to miss having guys like that to root against when their time is up. Hey, very true, because not only are they villains, but they play at a high level. They, they are very successful. That's why we think about Jacksonville, right, with a Jalen Ramsey. Last year, he was the big talk because he was the villain and he was producing. The team was good. This year, it's not the same effect because the team was terrible. You think about a Vontaze Bursic. When they're playing well and he's playing well, oh, it's awesome, but nine times out of ten, they're not playing well, they're not looking good, so it doesn't have that same type of effect that you get when you get a a team like Brady and Belichick. Arthur Motes with us here on the Crowley Show. A lot of players today, Motsi, uh, current and former players, are speaking out on the state of officiating in the NFL, how it needs to get better, how we can't have controversy like happened in the Superdome on Sunday continue to happen, and how there might even need to be some expansion of, of things that we can review and things of that nature. Where do you come down on all of the uh, the craziness that happened yesterday? Honestly, I'm a big believer in the human nature aspect of it. I feel like that's what ultimately adds to the game because you don't know when a call could go your way or not go your way. But at the same time, it's always important that you never let one play decide a game either. So when I think about both of those games, yes, it was some, some calls that potentially you know swung the pendulum, but at the same time, it was still plenty of plays that were made and not made by all those teams out there that could have helped them in their case for, uh, for winning. But when it comes to some of the stuff I was seeing as far as expanding uh, what would be challenged or having an extra official there to replay the calls from the officials that are already being made, I just feel like when we talk about doing those things, that is going to drastically affect the flow of the game, momentum, uh, I mean, just like how we talked about earlier, you think about the final two minutes of a basketball game. The flow is super choppy. You're yep. never able to just get, you know, a good two minutes of just hard playing. It's, oh, we got to stop again. Oh, we got to stop again. Oh, we're going to review that call. We're going to review the review of the review. And I feel like that's what you start flirting with when you bring in the potential to make challenges to, you know, flags that are being thrown. But then I take it a step further. Where does it stop on which you're allowed to challenge? Are you simply challenging, you know, pass interferences, or are you going to be able to challenge face mask calls? Are you going to be able to challenge holding calls or calls that you felt should have been holding? And that's what I'm trying to say, like, where do you draw that line at? Because as much as we talk about the P.I. with the New Orleans Saints and the Rams, the no call on the pick play with Sammy Watkins right. the bomb up the sideline is just as important. But because it might not be as glamorous for the offense to make that call, it still doesn't mean that it shouldn't be called. So where do you draw that line at? 
Well, yeah, and I know you. Come on, as a defensive guy, you're always looking out for your fellow defensive brethren. Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> while, the, <laughs> while the officials always seems like are looking out for the quarterbacks and the skill position players on offense. I, I liked what you said there, though. It's For me, it's it's such a big pace of play discussion. That's a term you hear used a lot in, in baseball and, like you mentioned, at the end of basketball games. And that's something that, for me, I don't want football to become that. And I think in certain ways it already is. I mean, we already know games are, are 15, 20, 30 minutes longer than they used to be. And if you continue to expand this stuff, it's only going to get worse. No, I agree 100%, man. So... Like I said, it's, it's, it's something that definitely needs to be looked into, but you have to do it in a way that it's not going to jeopardize the pace of play. It's not going to make these games that are already three hours long longer because at the end of the day, the product is going to, you know, it's not going to be as viewer-friendly when you're sitting here for three and a half, four, four and a half hours all because of, hey, we're reviewing this call. Now we're going to review this call. and Now we're going to review this. Oh, and don't forget, you got your regular challenges too. So it's just... They have to tread, you know, with caution as they proceed in this thing. Another big talking point today certainly has been the format of NFL overtime. Uh, as a guy who who was there, uh, you you played in overtimes. Do you you like the current format of the NFL? You think there should be any consideration to changes? How do you feel about some of the um, the voicing of displeasures that you know? Well, only only one team got a chance to have the ball in the Patriots game, and and maybe that's not a fair system. I've been able to you know play in the the pre uh, both teams get the ball of the field goal error. So I've been a part of overtime games where they you come down there they kick a field goal and that's it. But then I've also been a part where you know they have to score a touchdown, and I've seen it both ways. I've seen it where I've been a part of a defense to make a turnover. And then the whole momentum swings, and now you're not complaining about was it fair or not that we didn't get the ball first. Because as a defender, you're not thinking, oh, man, they're going to come out here and score us. We're not going to get a chance. Your whole mindset is, oh, we're about to stop and we're about to get a turnover, period. So when I think about the current format, I like it because it puts just as much onus on the offense to go down there and score a touchdown as it does on the defense to stop them. And I feel like when people start talking about it's not fair because the other offense didn't get a shot at it. I feel like you're taking a lot of the onus off of the defender's job. They yes. are paid to do what? Make stops. So now you're essentially saying, hey, it's okay if you're not going to be able to make a stop. Don't worry about it. As long as you got a quarterback, hey, we're going to make a rule where it doesn't even matter if you stop or not. You're still going to get a chance to go out there and score. I just feel like that takes away from the, 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 the sense of the job. As a defender, your job is to stop them. You're, you're paid to do that professionally. So I don't really care – if your offense on the field or not, make the stop. And you can't say that teams aren't successful that way. You think about that Jacksonville team last year. Yes. They were extremely successful solely based off their defense. So it's been done in the league. You think about that, uh, the Ravens team that won the Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer, a quarterback. I mean, it happens. But he's got to execute, and that's what it comes down to in these games. Last one for you here about championship weekend before we move on to a couple Steelers things. Is there a sicker man in America right now than D. Ford? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, D Ford, man. I, I feel bad for him a little bit. But at the end of the day, that's one of the fundamental things of a, uh, of a pass rusher DN. You have to line up on side. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know how you, I, it's more just a lapse of judgment, I felt like, with him. And, I mean, he's definitely voiced his frustration about it. I mean, it was a crucial play. With his, I mean, ultimately, I feel like that had 
more of an impact on the game than you think about the New Orleans game and the pass interference call because that extended the drive. That yep. ultimately gave them the ball back. <laughs> so, I mean, it's one of those things when I feel bad for him, but he's going to grow from it. He's going to learn from it. Uh, I know he has free agency coming up, so, you know, whatever he decides to do, he's definitely going to be extra motivated because of this bad thing that's in his mouth right now. Speaking of free agency, great transition there, Motsi. It seems <laughs> seems like a uh, one Steelers safety could be hitting free agency sooner than maybe we all expected. Uh, Morgan Burnett telling the NFL Network on Saturday that he would like a release from the Steelers. Just signed that contract last year, but it's also you look at the cap ramifications wouldn't be a big burden for the Steelers to part ways with Morgan Burnett. Do you think it's the uh, we've seen the last of, of Morgan in the black and gold? I personally think so, and, and this is why. When any, any any type of player asks for a release, if he's not a top three player on your team, top three, top five player, it's, it's going to make the most sense to go ahead and grant him that release because if you don't, he can grow into a cancer. He can become the person that, hey, when coach is telling everybody they need to do this, he's going to be the guy saying, I don't want to do that, I'm going to do this. And I would be doing this anyways if I wasn't forced to be here. Right. If I, if I was granted the release that I asked for. It's not like, you know, how some players will, you know, complain about things, but they'll do it under the radar. They won't, you know, vocally and be outspoken about it how Morgan is. But since he has publicly said it, now I feel like it's, it's one of those things that, hey, it makes the most sense to go ahead and do it. And then if you look at the cap situation, it's not going to, you know, hurt them by doing that. And you factor in the fact that they only played in 11 games last year. So it's not as if he led your team in, in uh, snaps played from a defensive standpoint or he was the vocal leader or things like that on the defense. He's missed, you know, like six games. Five, uh, yeah, well, five games. So yeah. with that being said, I mean, four of the I first really six think, games? Yes, I don't really think it's going to be that big of a deal for them to go ahead and grant him that release. Yeah, and you would think, too, hey, even when he came back, you saw what they were still doing with Terrell Edmonds. It still seemed like they favored him more anyways. You've got Edmonds, you've got Sean Davis, and as you and I talked about this morning, you've got a good class of safeties coming up in free agency if you wanted to go out and, and, and add another veteran as well. Uh, last one for you here, Motsi. Morgan Burnett wasn't, wasn't the only one who was in the news on Saturday for the Steelers. Antonio Brown sending out a tweet. The tweet contained a 10-second video that had uh, the fans chanting his name at Heinz Field last year. And he said with this video, one thing I'll understand about this fan base and that I'll never forget and always appreciate is your passion. Know that it's all love this way, and I am forever thankful for Steelers Nation. And then he adds in parentheses, this is not a goodbye, just a thank you. But it sure kind of seems like a, like a see you later, doesn't it? It definitely does. Um, if you think about the tone of it, Obviously, the video is very uh, – it's, it's, it hits home just because, I mean, I was in that stadium when that happened and how impactful he was on the field. Then we see him get hurt and carry off. It's one of the first times you've ever seen A.B. seriously injured. So, I mean, when you think about that, he was definitely hitting home on the sentimental side of things. But, I mean, I feel like that video and then by him saying this is not a goodbye, it just follows suit with everything that he's been doing this all season, anyways, from a social media standpoint. It's very uh, indirect in the sense of, you know, I'm going to say this, but I'm not going to really say what this is, or I'm going to put this out that I'm not really going to put what that really means behind it. And I feel like in this particular situation, if you're not saying goodbye, it's more, it's numerous ways for you to think still a nation than by making it like that. Because we all know 
the majority of the time when guys leave through free agency or when guys retire, that's the typical format and wording that they use when they talk about appreciating mm-hmm. a fan base, appreciating an opportunity and things like that. So as much as he says it's not a good buy, anyone who has seen, you know, or, or follow professional athletes and seen how they, you know, word messages to the fan base, you know this is kind of a hint towards that. But once again, we're still waiting to hear about A.B.'s big interview. So I feel like whenever that comes out, Hopefully this will be in there to clear that air, and we'll officially know what's going on with them. Because right now, we're all just playing the guessing game. We're playing A-B speculation game. We are playing the speculation game. And I'll tell you what, Motsi, there's no better place than to get that speculation. 10 a.m. to noon, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with Euler and Motes on SNR. If you liked what you heard here, you can catch me and, uh, and Motsi at that time on SNR. Thank you so much for taking the time, partner. I appreciate it, and I'll talk to you Wednesday morning. No doubt. You know the man. Make sure y'all tune in, baby. Yeah! <laughs> Thank you, Motsi, for the time, as always. As I mentioned, if you liked what you heard there, we do two hours, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 to noon on SNR. Before we go to break here, it, it's, it's not just Antonio Brown hogging the social media spotlight, Tom. No, Lev Bell wants to jump back into the mix as well. He got on a post, a Bleacher Report post on Instagram this afternoon. And the post states it has a picture of the Rams, and it says the Rams went all in in capital letters to get to the Super Bowl. Akib Tlaib, trade, acquired by trade. Marcus Peters, trade, Fowler, trade. Nandama Kinsu, $14 million. Uh, Brandon Cooks, $50 million guaranteed. Todd Gurley, highest paid running back ever. Aaron Donald, biggest defensive deal ever. Lev Bell comments on that and says exactly what you're supposed to do. They did it right in all capital letters. Forget trying to save for the future. You better go and try and win that bleep right now when you can. Yeah, Lev, that's exactly what the Steelers were trying to do when they offered you to become the highest paid running back in football two years ago. Hey, give me a break on that. Like, every team in the NFL that's a contender isn't spending to the cap? Yeah, what, the Saints didn't spend enough money? Is that why they lost? Hey, the Chiefs, if they would have just fleshed out a little more cash for another playmaker on defense instead of trying to be cheap. Now give me a break. I mean, in a way, he's right, though, right? No, I mean, he's you not. You got to spend that money, Wes. To Every build team, team spends that money. <laughs> but other teams spend it better than others, is what he's saying. Maybe. Well, yeah, I maybe teams know. that are still paying their quarterback a couple million dollars because they're See, on the rookie now contract. Now that's probably where he doesn't understand is that the Rams can go out and make these big splash deals because they don't have to worry about paying Jared Goff the hundred plus million dollars that they will have to pay him in a couple of years coming down. I mean, he just made the Super Bowl, so he's getting a $100 million deal, right? He, he is. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a different conversation for a different time. It's the same thing that the Chiefs have done. The Chiefs wouldn't have been able to add Sammy Watkins if, if, if Mahomes wasn't on no. his rookie year deal. Did you see, by the way, what they just said? They're planning on offering Mahomes this offseason oh, an extension? Oh, like $200 million, $200 million, right? million. I mean, the Chiefs aren't going to be able to sign any playmakers outside of Tyreek Hill. I mean, it's going to be all Mahomes and, Hill for the, and Kelsey for the next like five years. It, it, you see the Eagles do it? You see the, the the mercenaries that the Eagles brought in and the likes of guys uh, like Tim Jernigan and, uh, to a lesser extent, Chris Long and Michael Bennett. It, uh, when you have a rookie quarterback that still hasn't hit his second contract, yeah, you can go out and spend a lot more money. And I, just, I don't want to hear about trying to save for the future or trying to save money when, again, uh, the Steelers tried to make him the highest paid running back in football. Spare me that. I don't want to hear it, Lev. Just like I don't want to hear your latest rap track. Get out of here.
Is that <laughs> dropping soon? Do you know? Yeah, you know what else is dropping soon? His Hall of Fame potential. I don't know. I was trying to think of a funny joke there. Yeah. It didn't come to me. Coming up next. Oh, my goodness. I get to talk some hockey right here on the Crowley Show. We'll do that next. Wesley Euler in for Adam. This is the Crowley Show. Adam Crowley. He's not ordinary. He's extraordinary. So when you, uh, you know, when you uh, expertism, you know, you have to accept the fact that he's different. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. They've been heavy in the football talk so far for the first hour and 40 minutes of the show. Rightfully so. Just a fantastic slate of football yesterday. As I mentioned, the whole country making sweet, sweet afternoon delight. Do football for about seven hours yesterday. It was fantastic. I needed a cigarette. But I'm excited here just for a few minutes to be able to talk some pens, to be able to talk some hockey. I said it there in the last segment. I do a show on Steelers Nation Radio Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 to noon with Arthur Motes, and I love it. It's fantastic. I enjoy it greatly. But all we do is talk football, which is okay. But I want to talk some hockey, too. And we're going to do that right now. I, I would have loved to have been able to have a day here where we do like a whole three hours on hockey. But, of course, the day that I'm in for Crowley is the day where the football has dominated the news cycle like it hasn't. In a long time. We're going to talk some pens here in a moment. And an interesting tidbit just came down from the Edmonton Oilers. I'm going to need you to not freak out when you hear this. They just signed a guy to a three-year extension. His name is Miko Koskinen. I always have to think about his last name because he's got that goofy Russian Finnish pronunciation. Three-year extension for Miko Koskinen. Ko- <laughs> I'm going to mispronounce it so many times. Koskinen. And if you haven't heard of him before, like Tom said to me, you're not alone. He's only played 31 career games in the NHL in his life. He's 30 years old. He'll be 31. My next question was, what's the potential? What's his age? (laughs) He'll be 31 before... Oh, uh, not before the Stanley Cup champion is crowned, but he'll be 31 right after the Stanley Cup champion is crowned. He's a goaltender. 30 years old, going to be 31 in a couple months, has only played 31 career NHL games. Spent the vast majority of his career in the KHL in Russia. They just signed him to a deal that is worth over $4 million a year on average. What? Cap hit for next year, 5.2, 3.3, then 4.5. This guy has played 31 career NHL games. He's only started 28 of them. His record's 16 and 11 and 1. He's got three goals against average, not bad. He's got a save percentage of .905. That's not bad, but that's not good. He's a backup. He's a backup. He's 30 years old, got to be 31 soon. He's a career journeyman who's started in less than 30 NHL games and they just gave him a contract that pays him more money than Matt Murray. Dude, uh, we need to drive to Edmonton, all of us, with ski masks on and get Connor McDavid out of there. Poor guy. That is un- like, I saw this tweet and I had to double check to make sure it was a legit source and not like one of those fake parody accounts trying to trick people. A 30-year-old goaltender, going to be 31 soon, who has less than 30 starts, gets a fat three-year extension 
from the Oilers. I mean, you can't make this stuff up with them. All right, let's talk some Penguins here for about the next 10 minutes. Here's what I know the Penguins. We're, we're, it's the unofficial halfway point of the Penguins season. I'm going to tell you some things that I know that they are, and I'm going to tell you some things that I don't know if they are. Here's what I know the Penguins are. Uh, they're extremely talented. I don't need to tell you that. They've got two future Hall of Fame centers. They've got a potential future Hall of Fame defenseman. They've got a roster uh, littered with guys who've gone to all-star games, participated in Olympics. Elite-level talent. Also a guy that could put down hot dogs with the best of them. I also know that the Penguins are tremendously experienced. That's another no-brainer. Uh, this team just won nine straight playoff series. Almost everybody on the roster has a ring. Almost everybody on the roster has more than one ring. The Penguins are extremely talented, and they're tremendously experienced when it comes to winning hockey games at the most important time of the year. Those are two good things to have on your side. I, I also know that they are still feared and respected around the NHL. One of the most feared and respected teams organizations in the league. As they should be. And again, a, a team that's only lost one playoff series in the last three years. A team that has Crosby and Malkin and Latang and Kessel all relatively still on the back end, but in the prime of their careers. Penguins are extremely talented, tremendously experienced, and they're still feared and respected around the National Hockey League. I know all that to be true. But here's what I don't know if they are. Uh, better than a couple teams, namely Atlantic teams, Tampa Bay, certainly, the Toronto Maple Leafs, maybe, the Washington Capitals, I don't know. I also don't know if they're a legit Stanley Cup contender. <gasps> Let me tell you why. They have a real indifference to playing the right way currently. To making proper decisions. All these things that we've been talking about since this time last year when the Penguins were at the bottom of the division. All those concerns still linger. The misconception that the Pens can still just flip a switch. Yeah, that should have been put to death when Evgeny Kuznetsov was lighting the lamp at PPG Paints Arena in overtime in Game 6 to send the Penguins packing last year. Stanley Cup champions, or for that matter, just Stanley Cup contenders, don't play this way. Championship teams, championship contenders, most often share some common successes throughout a regular season in the NHL. Chief most, they develop good habits. They protect their goaltender. Insulate their goaltender, if you will. They make good decisions with the puck, particularly near the blue line and in the neutral zone. And while the Pens have, without a doubt, got to point this out, certainly improved in these areas over the last month or so. This past road trip, Show that they can still revert back to some of their old ways, some of their 
poor habits. They're a team that, like I said, while immensely talented, while immensely experienced, still has some concerning red flags. There's still too often a breakdown in structure, a lapse in judgment, and honestly, what just from time to time seems like a lack of interest. How do you fix it? Yeah, the good news is that it wouldn't take a genius, or you wouldn't have to be an NHL GM really to figure it out. On offense, a couple key things. Uh, Malkin's got to get it going. Uh, that alone would be an incredible elixir to many of the Penn's ailments. Uh, and the most likely quick fix. He's had droughts before. He snapped out of them. You'd expect him to do it again. But Malkin's got to get it going. Uh, they certainly could use to add another forward who doesn't play center. <laughs> so a winger. Uh, the Pearson acquisition was fantastic. I wouldn't be surprised if Jim Rutherford makes another move along those lines before the season's over. In fact, I think he should. And I'd like to see him do it sooner than later. And another thing that could f- help fix what ails the Penguins right now is the continued growth of guys like Simone and Wilson and Zach Aston Reese and Tanner Pearson, too, in, in his ingrainment of the Penguin system, while also getting just a little bit more from guys like Brian Rust, from guys like Ole Mata. And I think, too, I'm not saying they need to get a little bit more from him, but I think he's still got a little bit more of a gear to get to, and that's Jake Gensel. I know that sounds crazy. He's on pace to have close to a 40-goal season. I'm not saying they need more from him. I just think still he's got another half step, another level that he could take his game to. On the defensive side of the things, they still, we've been saying this for what now, 43 games? they got to figure out what's going on with Jack Johnson. Uh, when they brought in Marcus Pedersen from Anaheim, that really helped. But there's still too much of a drop-off between what the Penguins are trying to do and what Jack Johnson can do. And, and there's still too much of a drop-off between the Penguins' top-pairing defensemen and whatever line you're going to try and put together with Jack Johnson. Uh, you're not going to be able to get rid of him, at least not probably until the offseason. And like I said, pairing him with Pedersen has helped in, in the last month or so since that deal went down. But there's still got to be more there, or it's just got to be a different avenue. I mentioned it too. They need to insulate their goaltender. I know that sounds weird to say, but they give up too many looks, too many breakaways, too many odd man rushes. We know the Penguins like to play a high-flying brand of hockey. We know they like to light it up. We know they like to entertain. And we know that their defensemen aren't afraid to join the rush. But all those things were still true in 2016 and 2017, and they weren't leaving their goaltenders out to dry, out on a lot island, like they did last year, and like they've done too often this year. And the last thing I have here, and this I just said it, relates to the insulation of the goaltender, they have to find a way to minimize odd man rushes. You watch that game against the Vegas Golden Knights the other night, Vegas had like three or four breakaways, a handful of two-on-ones and three-on-twos, that can't happen. You saw that. That's how the Capitals beat the Penguins last year in the playoffs. Odd man rushes. You can fix it. There's no sweeping changes that the Penguins need. It's all little tweaks, and it's all things that they know. But like I said, I want to see them start to 
get back to those good habits sooner rather than later. I want them to be putting together consistent strings of good hockey as opposed to just trying to flip a switch. And as I mentioned, I do think the Pens and Mike Sullivan and his staff deserve credit for the improvement in general that we've seen over the past month. But this recent road swing, some of the Pens' bad habits reared their ugly head once again in a nasty way. The bad news is that on the surface, right now, they don't look like a true Stanley Cup contender. The good news? They have the talent and capability to play at a level few other teams possess. And they have time. They have a GM who's always active to address some of their shortcomings. And, and maybe most positive of all, because I don't want to sound like I'm down on the Penguins, so many of their problems can be fixed in-house uh, by just about every cliche imaginable. <laughs> Play the right way. Get to your game. Make the right decisions. Cliche, yes. But when you have the talent they have, quite often it is that simple. And also good news is that they've got a week off here to do some relaxing, some recharging, some resetting, some reflecting, some other R-word adjective, reminding themselves of how they've had success in the past and how they have to play if they want to get back to being that team that won nine straight playoff series, that team that won back-to-back Stanley Cups, and that team that it didn't matter what arena they were stepping into, they knew that they were the better team, and they knew that as long as they took care of business, more often than not, they were going to find themselves on the winning side of things. 412-922-2874, or you can tweet the show at Wesley Euler. When we return, we'll get back into some football talk. And in just a little bit, I want to talk about Tony Romo. And I also want to tell you why Saints fans and their head coach are just total losers. I'm Wesley Euler, in for Adam. This is The Crowley Show.